Welcome in, everybody, and welcome back. My name is Jeremy Thomas, host of the Big Law Capitals podcast. Good to see you. Good to have you in. Thank you for stopping by. Uh, I'm excited for this episode. Uh, big, it's a big episode. Uh, I think you guys will find a lot of value in this episode. We actually have Graham Singer on the podcast today. Uh, Graham's a longtime friend, uh, a fellow big law attorney, uh, finally getting a big law attorney on the show, uh, fellow compatriot. <laughs> and additionally, he's also the co-founder and co-CEO of Blue Pine Advisors. Um, on top of that, he's also a serial entrepreneur. My man is everywhere. He's doing everything. I don't know where he finds the time, um, but he made some time for us today. I'm super excited to dive in with him. Uh, a couple of notes real quick. Make sure you stick around all the way to the end of the episode. He's dropping absolute knowledge when it comes to short-term rentals. Think Airbnb, VRBO. Uh, about minute 15, we really kind of dive in deep. He, he runs a fund as well as owns several other of its own um, uh, Airbnbs and VRBOs, uh, you know, short-term rentals. And he's killing it. I'm just creating a massive amount of revenue. And I think that's what's really cool about this, this strategy, this sort of uh, asset class. I actually own... Um, short-term rentals as well, uh, and developing a couple right now. They are money-making machines, but that's if you're doing it the right way with the right strategy. We're going to literally talk about one of the best strategies for short-term rentals. I mean, he's printing hundreds of thousands of dollars in revenue uh, from short-term rentals, and it's only going up. And he, he dropped some really good knowledge for us. And so I think every one of you out there uh, who is thinking about real estate investing and is thinking about, you know, possibly having their own short-term rental or just thinking about the idea of it, you got to listen to this episode. So stay all the way to the end. Um, as always, if you have any questions, feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn at Big Ball Capitalist. Uh, wait, I'm sorry. That's my Instagram. <laughs> uh, feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn at Jeremy Toms and also on my Instagram at Big Ball Capitalist. See, there we go. Got it. Um, Without further ado, I want to bring in Graham. Let's get to it. Let's go. All right. And we're in there, man. Graham, dude, <laughs> I am absolutely pumped, man. Thanks so much for joining the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Absolutely, man. I still remember the first time I met you. Uh, this is years back. It's kind of a funny story. Um, a friend, a mutual friend of ours, uh, Mike Schaefer, he was like, hey, man, you got to come out and uh, we need an extra for the, the softball league I'm in. And I was like, <laughs> I don't really play baseball or softball, but I'm a summer associate, which I'm talking like this is far back. Like we're talking like 2013, yeah. I think. Yeah. And I was like, I can't not go. You know, this is one of those like opportunities that tell us to take advantage of not knowing like you don't want to go and look ridiculous, you know? And so we get there and he's like, oh yeah, you got to meet my buddy, Graham Singer. And I was like, oh yeah, for sure. Like, I'd love to meet him. And then I met you and I was like, oh, oh. This is Thor. Like this guy is, <laughs> this is like Chris Hemsworth in the flesh. Uh, I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, like, like if Thor cut his hair, so it's for the viewers, like check out the YouTube because like, oh man, like you're done well, my friend. Um, but yeah, it was, it was fantastic meeting you then. We hit it off well. And like ever since then, we've, you know, slightly kept in touch. And then we've really yeah. kept in touch recently because I, we have a lot of uh, similar interests, which I want to get into. Um, big piece of it though is we're actually at the same firm you're a big law attorney and uh you you live that like that dual life right where you're 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 uh, you have your legal career you're killing in that space but you also have the investing side of it so uh, i want the people to get to know you and then i want to dive into everything you have going on because it's a lot and it's it's really cool stuff so before we dive in super deep let's just like introduce you so like give us you know where you're from um how you sort of got started you know in your legal career and then I want to take it from there. We can go nuts. Yeah. So 
I guess I'll, I'll be fairly quick. I'm from North Carolina, a town called Hillsboro, up near the uh, Raleigh-Durham area. Uh, went to law school at WashU in St. Louis, and then uh, we were straight down to Charlotte to join Cadwallader, Wilkerson, and Taft, which is how I knew Mike, and, and really a bunch of other people that sort of have crossed paths with me, with you, and sort of everybody else, right? Because the, the Charlotte capital markets, real estate sort of area, big law uh, network is, is pretty small, and we all seem to know each other a lot through, a lot through softball. Um, <laughs> but... Uh, uh, so I, I started working at Cadwallader in 2008, right after I graduated. Great recession. My entire class was laid off after a year. I was placed with one of their clients to work. It was sort of what we called this work release program. I won't go into the details, but <laughs> worked there for a couple of years and then went back to, to work at Alston and Bird, uh, doing work for the, the Wells Fargo Commercial Mortgage Servicing Group and some of the other large institutional servicers and, and loan originators. Probably about that time was when I started investing in real estate. I'd sort of always had an eye to it, towards it. And so two of and my what, buddies. What year was that? That to look it up, but it was probably, I, was, I joined Alston and Bird in 2011. Okay. And it was probably right about then when I bought my first investment property with, gotcha. uh, with my buddies from law school. And we were a little tepid, you know, sort of timid getting into the market. We were scattered around. One of the guys was in DC. One was in Chicago. I was in Charlotte when we bought a property in Dallas. <laughs> but the Dude, reason we bought Dallas was, step. was the guy in, in DC. His uh, his sister and brother in law um, were in Dallas, and his brother in law was, I think, a general license general contractor and an architect. Um, they were both Hispanic, uh, so we could sort of access cheap labor. Nice. Um, sort of had boots on the ground, if you will, and and so we bought. A house, renovated it, rented it. We bought a condo, a couple condos, three condos in the end, renovated them. Um, and in the end, with with that investing group, and I think this is kind of true with everybody. Um, there were too many voices in, too many cooks in the kitchen, right? And so it was sort of hard to move. I couldn't help as much because I wasn't in Dallas. I wanted to invest in Charlotte for whatever reasons. You know, they had their reasons not to invest in Charlotte. Um, so eventually I asked to be bought out of that LLC and, and they did, it was perfectly amicable. We're, we're all still friends. Um, and then, so that's sort of my first step into, to investing. And then I kind of bounced around. I worked for a in-house counsel for a real estate investment trust here in Charlotte. We bought a competitor in Phoenix. So I moved out to Phoenix for three years to work with, with that company. Uh, and I don't think of, I knew that side. Yeah. Okay. Side note, Phoenix is fantastic. Phoenix is great. I lived in Old Town for a year as a single male, and that was a lot of fun. Goodness gracious. Um, <laughs> but I, needed to, I needed to get out of that sort of area and move down to, to downtown central Phoenix, and it was amazing. I loved it. Still have a bunch of great friends out there. Um, still like to try to get out there a couple times a year, although I haven't Absolutely. yet this year. Um, and then that actually led to, well, I'll, I'll come back to that. But So then I moved back to Charlotte in 2018, and, and I've been back here since moved back to work with a different real estate investment trust. That one was a single family residential REIT. So we owned 15,000 homes across the country. Um, and we eventually sold that REIT operation and we were launching a, uh, a fix and flip loan fund, basically. So we were gonna buy fix and flip loans with the eye to originating fix and flip loans, go in and securitize them, and try to sort of make the interest spread, right? So. That was my first sort of lesson on fund establishment and sort of fund formation. 
uh, I didn't have the background. So I was waking up at five in the morning and reading these, I think Matthew Hudson books on <laughs> funds and how to form them and the compliance with them, trying to get ready for this new role. And, uh, and ultimately we were successful in sort of setting up the groundwork. I ended up leaving the company for, for other reasons, uh, and took some time off and then sort of got into, to renovating houses. Uh, right. so that's kind of my background and it's a little bit of how I got into investing, but not sort of all the details. No, I love it, man, because that that gives us a lot as far as like there's there's multiple steps in there where like you're making conscious decisions to like to dive deeper into real estate investing, you know, like while also pulling the W2 gig, you know. Um, and so that's a piece that I like to talk about because I think people get into their sort of W2 rhythm, if you will, and forget that like you can do more than that. You know, like you can achieve a lot more than just what you do at your W-2. Not to say like that can't be rewarding and fulfilling, but like you can hit the, the, the fast forward button substantially, you know, by like taking control of what's happening also outside of your, your legal practice. So like I want to I want to dive into a few of those things real quick. I want to actually go back to the Dallas piece of it, because um, the first property is always a good story. Um, and so when you guys got into that, that's a big leap. You're you're essentially investing out of state and sort of like adding in the trust factor, hoping things like, not hoping, but I mean, you're, you're essentially like setting it up to, to so, have somebody do the work. So how did that, how did that come to fruition? Like what was sort of the feeling you had as far as doing that? Cause that's an aggressive step. Well, so as I recall, the first property we bought was a condo and one of our, uh, one of our partners, his parents owned the condo already and they just didn't really want to manage it as a rental property. And so we were able to sort of, it up off of them and turn it into a rental property so it was kind of a, a good option a good first step i mean it was like a hundred or one hundred and fifty thousand dollars too i think so it wasn't a huge investment mm -hmm. uh, and you know once you talk about leverage and and all that I mean, each kicked in like 20 grand or fifteen thousand, something like that um so it was an easy it was an easy step into that game and then the second house that we bought was sort of probably the, the bigger risk that we took, which was, yeah, I might get this wrong because it's been over 10 years, but I think we bought a four, one and a half or a four, two and completely changed the layout and ditched one of the bedrooms and went to a much more efficient three bedroom, two bathroom house. Um, and, uh, my partners, well, one of my partners, because we ended up bringing them in as a partner and they could, they sort of provided sweat equity ra mm -hmm. rather than, than just straight capital because they didn't have as much money as us. They weren't attorneys and they just weren't there yet. Yep. So they ended up doing the renovations as their sweat equity and then did the property management. Um, and that ended That's up nice. being a home run. Um, that ended up being really, really good. And, you know, if I'd stayed in that company a couple more years, I probably would have come out with the, uh, several thousand more dollars, but really, but, you know, particularly because of that house. And then the, the <laughs> next two houses we picked up were there were across the street from our original condo was a large complex of like 700 small condo units or something. It was a huge complex. And there was an investor that was going in and buying these up, but he didn't have the capital just to keep buying them. So he flipped a couple of us. And so we bought, two condos in there. I think one was a two, two and one was a two, one. And I think the total purchase price for them was like 120 grand. And we did again, some work to renovate it. And, and because our, our partners were just there, I think because they were Hispanic and because they were willing to put the time and the effort in to oversee everything, 
they were able to keep our costs way, way down. Mm-hmm. Uh, so those properties both ended up being sort of a windfall on on the exit. We ended up selling one because we had a bad tenant, tenant that did a ton of damage and we just, uh, it was the smaller unit. It just wasn't really a good rental for us. Uh, yeah. The other one we held on to. And, and so from that experience, how much do you think that sort of guided your your next steps? Because once you exited, right, like what was, I know you, you then made the leap and you started looking at other investments. But like, how much do you think that guided like your your viewpoint on real estate investing on like a go forward basis? It definitely made me want to do it more. It definitely made me want to be a bigger piece of the pie because mm-hmm. while the risk was lower, I was still only pulling in a quarter of the the rent checks and a quarter of the upside, right? And right. at some point, you kind of have to look and say this really isn't worth the time and the effort. And so you, I think that's something that you you always have to sort of be evaluating. And I'm sure we'll get into sort of some of the decisions I've made lately about that too. But um, for me, it just wasn't worth the time and the effort. Um, and I also had, when I moved to Phoenix, I kept my primary residence as a rental. So I had that rental property. Um, when I was in Phoenix, I bought another house here in Charlotte with another guy since, since the other investors didn't want to invest in Charlotte. Mm-hmm. That ended up just being an absolute home run. I mean, we bought this three, two dump for <laughs> $72,000 just north of uptown. And I think today it probably appraised for 300 grand. And that was yeah, 2016 that we bought it. Uh, nice. Now we've done, we ended up doing 30 grand in renovations to it, but we're only $100,000 into that property, pulled out all of that capital and then some, and actually put that into a short-term rental in Phoenix that we bought just before the pandemic. Oh, nice. Uh, so we've been able to parlay that equity a couple of times. And I think more so than what I was doing in Dallas, the stuff that I did in Charlotte, uh, Oh, well, I sort of always knew this. It was the first time I executed on being able to pull out equity and expand my portfolio without having to come out of pocket additional cash. Yeah. Uh, and that felt good. Yeah. That's a fantastic feeling. Yeah. Like, I, I can absolutely empathize with that because that's, uh, I remember the first, what they call it, the term called, you know, burr, right? The buy, renovate, uh, yep. run out, re, you know, the repeat, all that stuff. Refinance, yep. repeat. So um, the first time I did that, like, there was no greater feeling than like being able to tell my wife like hey like all that money i just blew like here it is plus some and let's just <laughs> rent, rinse and repeat that like and it's funny like the burr method like that method itself you know and you know this for sure but like for, for the viewers like you can put that on you can use that that strategy on bigger and bigger deals you know and so like at this point i'm doing a, a burr deal on what is what was a four unit apartment building? I'm turning it into a six unit apartment building. But the bigger deal is like that property sits on two acres. So I'm actually adding a tiny home village as well on there. Like, it's like you know, a mini yeah. tiny home village, if you will. And like that deal is going to pay for itself hand over fist several times, you know. So it's it's like you can get really, really creative with that. That's why it's one of my favorite strategies. But I mean, it's a strategy that's employed by some of the largest firms in the world, right? It's just, you know, they don't call it fur, you know, they, yeah. they have a um, but it's the same sort of idea. So that that's awesome, man. I and first off, I got please let me use your Phoenix um short term rental because that would be much appreciated. Well, so, <laughs> so we we sold it. Um, ah, there it is. Yeah. So we got we got hooked up with a property manager in Phoenix that had a great reputation, and then they were bought by by Vacasa, which is a large you know firm, and ultimately all the principals that were with that original property management company left about six months after we bought this house because they didn't like the Vegasa sort of way of life. And yep. 
So our service quality just completely tanked, our rentals tanked. Then we came into the pandemic and we lost 60 days of bookings or something. And Vicasa still don't know what happened, but they didn't get the money from Airbnb for the cancellations. And for a period of time, Airbnb wasn't offering everybody free cancellations. Uh, So there's some sort of discrepancies there. So we turned it into a long-term rental and we're only cash flowing maybe 200 bucks a month. And this was, I mean, we only had a hundred grand of equity in in the house, but you know, we're talking about a $400,000 house. We need to make more than $2,400 cash flow on our hundred grand. That's a 2.4 return. That's not worth it. So when we came out, when we started coming out of the pandemic, we sold the Phoenix house, made about 200 grand in two years on it. So we sold it for 595. We bought it for 409, fully furnished. Uh, We took that 200 grand each threw in another $30,000 and bought a house up in um, sort of between Henderson and Brevard, maybe 10, 15 minutes from DuPont State Park, State Forest, and uh, bought that house for, I don't know, like $1.25 million, I think. Very and nice. we had it. <laughs> it's a little funny because, you know, this was the peak of the market, right? Or almost the peak of the market. And so you had to be really aggressive with your terms. So we did like a mm-hmm. seven-day due diligence period. We did like a $30,000 earnest money and like a $10,000 uh, diligence fee, or maybe it was a $20,000 diligence fee. We didn't even get in to see the house until like day eight. So we were, yeah. we knew we were stuck by it, but it'd been a short term rental for four or five years. And it was doing, did $175,000 the year before we bought it and $150,000 the year before that. So we knew we were buying into a good investment. Yeah. And we, we took out a bridge loan with Lima one in order to close in less than 30 days. And then immediately refi that with 30 year debt. Um, it didn't quite get in under the, uh, the great interest rates, but we're certainly better than where we are now. Um, yeah. But we were able to pull out the 30,000 that we put in and, and get that money out because the, the house appraised for even more than, than what we had expected. So fantastic. Man. Um, so yeah, so now I turned, so we basically turned a $72,000 investment in uh, long-term rental in Charlotte into we did take on another partner so he put in his you know 30 grand for the phoenix house and so we turned that into the phoenix house and kept the charlotte house and then turned that into the hendersonville house so you know now we basically have turned essentially 100 grand into a few hundred thousand dollars in equity and cash loan properties um goodness gracious man there it is it's felt good (laughs) welcome welcome to the show my friend that's fantastic man and that's that's a solid segue because uh, like I said before, you know, we've been catching up a lot recently and like, I love our conversations because you're into the space that I'm, that I'm really into as well, which is the short-term rental space. I love that space. Um, but it's not a space that people who don't necessarily own short-term rentals, even some who do, I don't necessarily think people understand or can appreciate just how lucrative that can be, not only from a revenue perspective, but an overall like tax position as well. I think there's a lot of strategies that people don't necessarily understand or think about when it comes to that. And, um, and you have vast amounts of knowledge in it and we'll get into into why in a second, but that's why I wanted to have you on the show because I wanted to touch on a topic that I think a lot of people think about from a, almost like a sexiness perspective, right? Like by far Airbnb, you know, those sorts of properties I think would be considered the sexiest part of the business when it comes to real estate. Um, but you know, obviously there's other parts of real estate that are not as sexy, but you know, crazy lucrative as well, but this one's really cool. So I wanted to touch base with you on this because. I think people can learn a lot from it and get a lot of value out of it. So, so tell us where you are now. Like 
outside of the firm life, right? Like I get that, but like, uh, what are you doing in, an, in the investing space at this point? So I've, I've basically turned my focus into building a short-term rental portfolio. Um, and I guess let me take a, a step back and I can sort of explain how I got here. Um, when I, when I left my last job, um, well, actually, let me go back before that. When I was in my last job, I ended up running into a guy that lived uh, maybe 12, 15 houses up the street. And he used to work for invitation homes. I was working for a single family uh, residential read at the time, the third largest public one. So we got to talking and sort of stayed in touch. We made some long-term investments, some flipping investments together. And we always sort of had this, this vision of let's build a short-term rental portfolio and let's build a fund based on it to take in third-party investors. And the whole logic with our investment strategy is there are far fewer luxury short-term rentals than there are studios, one ones, two twos, three twos, right? You go on AirDNA and you pull up the data, there's a thousand homes that are three twos or smaller in Charlotte. Yeah. If you pull up the AirDNA data in Charlotte for a six bedroom plus house in a Charlotte zip code, I think right now there's 13. <laughs> it might be 17. It's, I mean, it's, it, there's none, right? Yep. And so if you want to host a large event, you basically don't have any options. And so we saw this and we sort of thought like, okay, so let's buy large houses that can accommodate groups in places people want to do or people want to be and let's do it with amenities. So most of our houses have, are either on a lake, have a pool, have a hot tub. Some of them have all three. Um, and so that's sort of what our strategy was going to be. And so we put our money where our mouth was. And so a couple of years back, we bought uh, a house on Lake Wiley, renovated it. We bought it for 610, renovated it, put 90 grand, 93 grand into it. Um, it appraised for 855 shortly after. Um, it produced 100, my numbers might be wrong on this, but like $150,000 the first year. And this year it's already grossed over $150,000 again, I think. So Man, tip of the cap. Good Lord. That, <laughs> is. that one's been great. And it helps. And, and, and I'd be remiss if I didn't give a shout out to, to my partners, Travis and Roxy Mercer, you know, Travis used to work at IH. He's a whiz kid with MLS. He can find value anywhere. Um, well, in the right markets, he's going to find yeah. a mislisted property. He's going to find a uh, value that somebody doesn't see it because they don't recognize some aspect of the land. And, and, the speed at which he does it is ridiculous. He's seven, seven, you know, windows open and he's just bouncing across, you know, a bunch of different windows on an MLS and just makes it happen. And he loves it. So God bless him. I don't like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, and Roxy's a licensed general contractor and does really well on interior design. So we've sort of got those pieces there. Oh, that, that's can, a dream team. That's awesome. Yeah, I can do the financing. I can do the legal work, all that stuff. So it's, it's worked out well. Um, so we got, we got that house. We partnered with another guy and got another Lake Wiley house that has a pool. We added a hot tub. Um, it did like 140 grand its first year. This year, I think it's looking like $180,000 in, in nice. gross revenue. So those two properties, again, if you go to AirDNA, I think our Springpoint house is the third or fourth highest producing Charlotte Airbnb. Um, well, short-term rental. Uh, our Landover house, I think, is seventh for houses that sleep under 16 people and like 11th overall. Um, so then we partnered with another guy and bought a Lake Norman house, renovated that one, got 100% of our cash out plus more. 
Um, I think plus more. I think we got like an extra hundred grand out of that. Um, that house, this is the first summer. We didn't get it listed until March. So, and the doc wasn't done until May. So it's not a great representative of what a year there is going to be, but I think it was like 130 grand in revenue. So wow. Wow. yeah, we're, we're producing real numbers and then we have a the house up in Boone that hasn't been great, but you know, we're probably going to end up, we put it on the market, I think around mid June or early July. And I think we're going to end up with maybe 60 grand in revenue this year. Um, so it's, it's got some potential to, to do well. Um, that's, that's what I love about short-term rentals is like to take everything out of it, right? Take, take out like the, the analytics, right? Um, take out, you know, all of the sort of rigmarole that goes into the background of underwriting and, and, and the financing, take out all that. I love looking in the bank account. It is the best feeling ever when like, you're just seeing payments pop in over and over and over. Like I, I cannot get over how fantastic that feels. Um, and so like, that's your strategy, which I want to touch on um, further, because I think it's not a strategy that a lot of people think about or employ or even can employ. Right. Which is why, like, you know, you're looking at it from like a partnership perspective and raising a fund because, you know, it's, it's expensive properties. They're big properties they're luxuries. So you're putting a good number into them for the, the renovation. But that strategy that that's what's ingenious about that is that, like, you figured out, like, this game isn't about jumping into the crowd. It's about finding your niche, you know. Um, and you found a fantastic niche and I, I'll tell you like, that's, that's actually something we're doing as well up in Pittsburgh is like, there's only a, a handful of properties. When I say a handful, I mean five, like that actually can sleep over 12 people and that are considered, you know, relatively luxury. And so that's, it's such a small pool, but there's demand and you don't have much competition. So it's a great space to be in as long as you can afford to be in it. Um, who, whose idea was it to, to come up with that, with that strategy? Was that a it's definitely Jackson's idea. Yeah. No, he, uh, he always wanted to get into short term rentals and he had seen the, this sort of soft spot in the market, um, or sort of the lack of competition. Right. I mean, I think yep. it's relatively easy for anybody to turn a $350,000, $400,000, uh, house into an Airbnb. For sure. When you're talking about locking up a few hundred thousand dollars of capital to go out and buy a million, $1.3 million house, it gets a little harder. Uh, and I think, you know, I've listened to a bunch of Airbnb podcasts and things like that. And for whatever reason, people are afraid of the luxury market, <laughs> yep. which I think one of the reasons for that is that a lot of these guys that are doing the Airbnb podcast and things like that, and more power to them, but they're in Austin, they're in Miami, they're in Charleston, you know, they're in these sort of tourist cities that are geared towards that and, and really have had these vacation rental industries for decades. We're in Charlotte, right? I mean, outside of the lake, there aren't that many homes that are that are on the market for short-term rental or anything like that. Um, so I just don't think that we have the the competitive sort of set that you do in in Miami and those places. And look, before we bought the the house in Hendersonville, my buddies and I we love to ski, so we were looking at Tahoe, we were looking at Park City, we were looking at all these places. I and mean, Tahoe is basically outlawed short-term rentals, but Park City, like unless you're in the resort, you're not going to get the high revenue in the off season that you need to make it worth the, the price of that real estate. And if you are in the resort, you're going to pay $2,500 a month in HOA fees, which yep. kills your, your profitability. Yeah, cash flow, so, 
So we looked at it and like, why are we going to buy a four cap in Park City that we're going to not want to use for a week in the season because we're going to lose $15,000? Why don't we buy a lake house or a mountain house in North Carolina and it's going to throw off $30,000, $40,000 in free cash flow and take ten grand of that and go rent a house for a week, wherever <laughs> we want, Park City, Tahoe, Whistler, wherever. And so that's our logic with that house. And we'll, uh, we'll see if we can make it work. So, I, um, so you're, you're clearly experienced in the space and you've been doing it for a while now. And like you guys are cranking out hundreds of thousands of dollars in revenue. If somebody's like, holy man, like this is a fantastic idea. Like I want to do it myself, right? Like if somebody's thinking that, what would be sort of your advice to them, right? Outside of like, hey, you don't do this for a living. So just you need to hook up with somebody who does. Well, but I laugh. My, my advice would be invest with me. <laughs> <laughs> so we, uh, so I'll, I'll give two answers to that question. So one, as you know, um, Travis and Roxy and I ended up launching a short-term rental fund in March of this year. Uh, we raised about seven hundred thousand dollars. We've got two properties: one on Lake Norman in Denver, North Carolina, um, and one um, down in South Charlotte. Um, just to give you some details on those two properties, we. We put the first property on the market in the first week of June, and it did about $64,000 in the summer in revenue. And it's kind of trailed off now. And then South Charlotte property has already done. We put it on the market, I think, around September 9th, just after Labor Day. And it's already had $28,000 in, uh, in bookings through October 31st with $25,000 remaining this year. So we'll, even if we didn't get any more bookings the rest of the year, we'd be at $53,000 in gross revenue and whatever that is 110 days, something like that, wow. um, which is, is pretty solid. And I think the other important thing to remember, if you do go out in Airbnb, um, you have to climb the algorithms. So your first few months aren't going to be your, your best months, right? So if our lake house did $64,000 in the summer, you know, and we didn't put it on the market until June 1st, we come back around next year. It's going to be a significantly larger number because basically we're we're discounting the property to get people in to get reviews to make mm -hmm. sure we get page conversions and things like that because right now that property is like the 80th i think it's been a while since i looked but it was the 80th on the list of airbnb so if you search you know the west side of lake norman including this area and obviously it depends on how big of a geography you're including you click waterfront we're going to be the 80th house that you see. So you got to go through a bunch of pages to get to us, right? <laughs> but if we do our job next summer, we're, we're really February and March when the summer starts booking off, we want to be on that first page. We want to be the top 10, top 15 views. And the way you have to do that is, you know, now there's a variety of ways. Superhost, five-star reviews, uh, page conversions, things like that. And so if we can do our job, we can hopefully turn that $64,000 into maybe $150,000 in the summer next year. Um, and same thing with our, our South Charlotte house, although that one's been a little easier because you go back to the other point that I made, um, because it's so big, if you have somebody looking for a five bedroom house that sleeps more than 15 people, I think you have 13 options in Charlotte. Yeah. And so we're automatically essentially on the first page. And so it's very easy to find our house. And that's one of the reasons why we like the big, the big properties. But so anyway, if we take a step back to your question. So the fund has those two properties. We'd love to raise more capital and continue buying, you know, more of these homes. We've proven the track record with the four houses that we own for ourselves, proven it so far on the fund. Um, 
So I would encourage people to not go out and do it yourself, <laughs> invest with you, invest with me and let us do it because there are a lot of nuances. And if you're not in there, you don't have somebody in there managing the, the calendar, updating the description. I mean, even going in and just on, once a week, every description needs to have some modest change because that Airbnb picks that up and it could be as right. small as, as changing an and to an or somewhere if it makes you know grammatical sense or changing the the title you need to make sure it's season seasonally correct if there's any events you know president's cup was big for our south charlotte house so you need to have that you know convenient <laughs> president's club or something like that um so there's a lot of activity involved in it so i don't know that i would encourage people to go out and do it individually that said <laughs> You won't get the tax benefits if you if you invest with us um, that you can get if you go out and buy an Airbnb directly. So you always kind of have to look at at what your what your individual situation is. And so I think for other attorneys or high earners out there that are looking at this, you may want to go out <laughs> and buy an Airbnb, you know, individually um, because you can get the hoteling uh, tax deduction and. and not a tax attorney, so take us for a grain of salt, talk to a CPA or a tax attorney. But if the average lease in your house is seven days or less, then that property is not considered a rental property. And you can take your passive losses and use them to offset ordinary income, provided you, you do other things. I think you have to provide a material service such as cleaning, which you almost certainly do through Airbnb. You don't, you don't have to be the one cleaning. You just have to hire somebody to go clean it. And you need to be making... The material management decisions i think there's a couple sort of pieces in there that i'm not fully versed on but you know i reduced my tax bill i think over twenty thousand dollars this year because of uh because of some of the the you know passive losses that I've been able to offset my my income but i'm still taking I don't know what my distributions were. They were significantly more than 20 grand though. I can tell you that much. And that's, uh, that's what I love about it, man. That's what I love about real estate is like, um, I tell people a lot of times I love the cash flow. obviously. I more so love the actual like passive tax benefits of it. Like the deductions, like the depreciation, it's massive. Um, and it's like, it's one of the best parts about being in the game um, and what it can do for you in that respect. So I mean, like that, that's, Fantastic advice. Like, like you said before, you know, we have, we're obviously not CPAs. It's like, you know, everybody go out and do your own research and, and, to, and speak to your own CPAs. But the, there's so many benefits, upside benefits to doing, you know, short term rentals. Um, and you're doing it at like the highest level. So that's why I wanted to have you on, man, to like hear about some of those techniques, some of those, um, some of those strategies. Uh, and, and, and before, before we jump, um, cause I don't want to go too far over time, but before we jump, I want to make sure you can plug your um, your socials as well as your website and how people can get in touch with you to to chat with you about getting involved. Yeah, so the uh, so the fund we have is called Blue Pine Escapes Fund One. Um, yeah, we do hope there'll be some additional ones. Um, the the sponsor company is Blue Pine Advisors. You can find us at bluepineadvisors.com. We're on LinkedIn. Um, I'm also on LinkedIn. Um, blanking on what my LinkedIn portfolio or, or name is, but I think. Probably put it up, right? Um, but yeah, oh, yeah I mean, no, we'll definitely we'll definitely post it in the show notes for sure. Yeah, just re reach out. Um, we did just start a five hundred six C offering, so you know, we can take money from uh, any accredited investors. So just reach out, uh, Graham at bluepondadvisors and we can send you over the uh, the information, the presentation. We do need to update the presentation from our frankly success from the past year. 
uh, or really years if you look at our, our personal investments. Uh, so we'll be doing that soon. But yeah, we're, we're looking to take in uh, additional funds and trying to, to buy more homes. Absolutely, man. What, what, kind of, what numbers are you look, guys looking or hoping to, to raise? To, so we've to... raised 700,000. I'd like to raise a minimum of 1.5, um, nice. but we've, we've capped it at 10 million. I mean, if we were somehow to, to raise 10 million, I don't know that we would be able to successfully deploy it um, as quickly as we would need to. Mm-hmm. Not at least in Charlotte and Western North Carolina. We probably have to expand our geographic scope a little bit. Um, right. But yeah, we uh, <laughs> we hired a fund administrator out of, out of New Jersey to sort of be a third party eye just so that we can, when, when we're reaching out to people that we don't know, they, they understand that, hey, there's another company that's overseeing this from sort of a fiduciary aspect and they're, they're sort of making sure that our audit trails are good. All the money is being taken care of. You know, they have to sign off on wires before things go out or set them up. There's sort of a two-step process, three-step process requiring two individuals. So we're running it sort of more like a New York fund would run things. And Socia manages literally billions of dollars of, of assets. And right now, or at least last time I spoke to them, their smallest fund was one, other than us was 1.5 million. So I keep telling the uh, the head associate and that my goal is to get 1.5 and one dollar. <laughs> That's my first goal, <laughs> and then I'll go you know beyond that. But I don't want to be their smallest fund. That's the <laughs> that's the goal. That man, this has been super super helpful, man. And like like I said before, like to to the viewers, I would I would implore you, please reach out to Graham. Like th- these sorts of conversations are the ones you need to be having when you're making the money that, you know, big law attorneys make and just high earners in general make like this is, these are the opportunities you need to take advantage of. So um, one, one note real quick, I wanted to make sure I follow back up on this. You mentioned air DNA earlier and, and you're well versed in that, but a lot of the viewers might not be. So I wanted to just quickly ask you, you know, what, what is air DNA and, and how to, how's it helping you out? Yeah. So I think there are three major sort of data scraping companies and they scrape data from VRBO uh, and Airbnb, I think almost exclusively. Uh, AirDNA is probably the biggest. MashVisor is probably the second one. And then I think Pricing Labs or something like that is probably the third largest. Um, There's other ones. Rabu here locally does it, although I've got less experience with them. Um, I've personally found MashVisor's interface to be almost unusable. Sorry. You're not the first person I've heard say that. That's hilarious. <laughs> and uh, uh, I, I just heard about Pricing Lab, so I haven't really messed around with them yet. Um, but AirDNA is probably the largest. And basically, you just go in, you buy different zip codes, you buy, we buy statewide because we've just sort of negotiated a relatively good price with them. And, and we're always looking at the mountains. Kind of, we don't really do the coast yet. I don't know that we ever will. But we uh, are all over in in North Carolina, right? Like all of Lake Wiley. So you're looking in Belmont, you're looking in Charlotte. You know, we look at Mountain Island Lake. We go up to Denver, Lincolnton, Mooresville, Iredell counties, even Statesville sometimes, and all the lakes to the west and to the east. Um, and then the mountains, of course, as well. And so basically what AirDNA does is you can look at all the top properties in a zip code or an area. You can adjust it. You can say, okay, show me all the top three bedroom, two bathroom houses, things like that. And they'll usually show you sort of what's your what's the average occupancy and what's the average daily rate and how much does each property has each property grossed. And they tell you, you know, these are the number of days on the market it is, all of that. So it gives you decent insight into the area. 
I'll warn everybody that they need to take it with a grain of salt. Um, we found numerous errors in their data. Um, you know, if we see a house on the MLS, it's already, you know, being used as an STR, we'll frequently dive into the financials and pull them up and see, okay, is this something that works for us individually or for the fund or, or what? Um, and then we'll always go back and sort of double check it on air DNA. And we found some very significant de deltas there. Um, really? Usually not in the good side. Usually AirDNA is significantly overstating the revenue that the company actually earned or the property actually earned. Um, it can also understate it though, too. The house that we bought in the mountains, I think AirDNA indicated that the house had maybe like 80 grand in revenue. But one of the reasons is that the property management company that, that we now use and that had been used historically um, was really good about getting repeat bookings through their platform and off of Airbnb and, and VRBO so they didn't have to pay all the fees there. Right. And so, you know, if 50% of their bookings were coming in through their proprietary website, AirDNA doesn't have access to their proprietary website. So it's sort of, you can explain that one. Um, so you just kind of have to, to pay attention, <laughs> right? I mean, yeah. if you see something that's, that's probably too high to believe, um, it probably is. Yeah, I hear it, man. This this has been fantastic. I can't thank you enough. Um, I I gotta have you back on because first off, I want to like get a update from you, like you know, six months a year from now, just to see like how much money you're printing off these things. Um, but on top of that, I just love talking to you about this stuff because the, the, you're we're in the same headspace, and it's just so much fun to hear about like the opportunities in this space, man. So. Um, thank you. A thousand thank yous uh, to the viewers. Thank you all so much for joining me. As always, if you have any questions or you want to reach out, uh, feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn at Jeremy Toms or on Instagram at Big Law Capitalist. Uh, until next time, I'm going to sign off. Love you guys. Peace. All right, we did it. Thank you so much for joining me for this week's episode. I really, really do appreciate it. Do me a big favor. If you want to be a part of the Big Law Capitalist community to stay up to date with all of our latest episodes, you got to hit that subscribe button. Super important. But I can't thank you enough for joining me this week. I'll see you next time. Peace.